OTB Sports Rugby. I just remember when Stephen Jones was stepping up to take it, I was there going, oh, we've got this. Had they given it to Gavin Henson, I would have been a lot more worried. Um, <laughs> Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports And this is Off The Ball Saturday until 5 John Duggan with you and this is Football Saturday Remember Off The Ball Football brought to you by Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports We're streaming the conversation You can listen across the country on News Talk Also watch us on the digital channels YouTube, Facebook, the OTB Sports app and Twitter We're joined on the line by the former European Cup winner and five-time league champion with Liverpool and the ex-Ireland international Mark Lawrenson and in studio by the Irish Independent Football Correspondent Dan McDonnell and the co-Ramblers manager Shane Keegan You can text us 53106 Dan and Shane, how is the four? All good, JD. Yeah, good. Y'all looking forward to the league next week? Ask Shane about that. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it because there's no real pressure on me, Shane. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> slept in about. <laughs> Shane's uh, down, down in Kerry next Friday. Shane is down for the uh, the the grand the brand opening of driving uh, all the Kerry. all the way down to Tralee just to cheer me on. Oh so yeah, yeah. I want to I want to see Shane Keegan. It's not about the new league, <laughs> the new kid on the block that it's all about, but. Um, Look, Shane was playing preseason games last night against Cork City, so he's a, uh, he's a, uh, he's he's immersed in the football world in a way that, that we're not really, JD. Yeah, looking no, no, looking forward to it. All right, JD, really, really am. It's it's kind of my first time going into a League of Ireland season as a, a manager of my own right with my own staff, my own players, my own preseason under my belt since two thousand and eighteen. So it's it's been a while. Um, I've been in a few different other roles, but this is there's nothing like being the been the main man um, really looking forward to it getting going yeah what are your ambitions for the season I suppose look we were we were rock bottom last year so you have to be somewhat realistic but it, it's a strange division in that there's 10 teams in the division and 5th gets you a playoff so I suppose realistically we would like to head into the final round of games with the potential to try and sneak into a playoff spot as still doable if that makes sense and I think if we do that that'll mean you'll have crowds on a regular basis and, and I think everybody would be happy if you could pull it off from there then all the better but we'd like not to be heading into the final round of games with our season done and dusted if that makes sense Laro has the form yeah good John thank you very much I've got one eye on the rugby sensational isn't it yeah, no, and so do we, so do we. Ireland against France in the uh, in the Six Nations. 19 points to 16 Ireland lead at the moment and uh, plenty of tries going uh, down Lansdowne Road way. Um, Mr Moyes, your pal, uh, one-all draw against Chelsea. Is he enjoying life as a manager still, do you think, Laro? Uh, yeah, he enjoys it because he's left alone, basically. And he said the uh, the main man, obviously they lost. Yeah, um, David Gold, sadly. Yeah. David Gold, didn't they? But he said that the main man is actually better with him when they're not doing particularly well rather than when they're winning. So work that one out. So, yeah, it's, it's all good. He, he thinks he's turned the corner lately. And <clears throat> obviously some of the results have been, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the results have been a bit more positive. Um, I think they'll be absolutely fine. They won't get relegated, West Ham. Yeah, brought a good few signings into the club, like, like yeah. Keta and... Um... I haven't seen much of Skamuka, but um, Antonio's back no, in the team he's not, now. he's not played much in the end. They've obviously lost the midfield player today. It looks like he's might have dislocated his yeah, shoulder. Paqueta, yeah. Yeah, but the good thing is Aguero, I suppose, has been a positive. And you saw what it saw a bit of him at the World Cup, Dad, wouldn't you? Yeah, he was terrific at the World Cup. Well, I say he was terrific at the World Cup. I mean, he was he was good at the World Cup when he was able to stand up and play. Yeah. You know, like he, he sort of... You know, he was trying his best to play on through and they probably they missed him a bit later on. But you could definitely see... Um, 
I mean, you can see what he signed him. I guess it's a very obvious thing to say, but you can see his ability and, and clearly with a bit of a clear run, um, how, how his ceiling could be reasonably high, you would think. Is there a danger with the World Cup because it's so exciting and we're all invested and the whole world watches it, Dan, that the the way um, players are assessed might not be uh, comparable with their actual ability? Like Enzo Fernandez's example, like he's a world superstar now just because Argentina won the World Cup in a good tournament and now he's been seen as this guy who's going to be leading Chelsea for the next 10 years of the engine room, man. Yeah, well, I mean, he's obviously leading him for the next 10 years because they, <laughs> yeah. they have to make his contract that long so they can sign him. Uh, like, that's, that's obviously a, a separate thing. But um, I, I didn't see all of the game today, but you were sort of watching him at times, like, you know, taking on that responsibility at the base of the midfield. And you're thinking, wow, like, you know, this is someone who went for a much smaller amount um, in a very recent period of time. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if clubs in their scouting and their recruitment are that impulsive now there was obviously a time when the the major tournaments was when you might you know you might see a player um and, and sign him you think of like Proborski and various players like spring to mind who are who spring to prominence they get signed and and maybe it doesn't doesn't work out i think now any top level club that doesn't have an, an awareness of every player before the tournament starts um you know that they're not doing their job rightly. Now, clearly, like you see them in a pressurised situation, um, you you know it definitely like puts a premium on the price of of certain players. You would say, um, but you'd be surprised if if a, a team just decides to sign players on the basis of four or five games. And I take your point. It's like tournaments are. You speak to people who've been involved in them, and tournaments can be tournaments can be a sort of an alternate reality. You know, some people are just in the groove at that time. You know, the the schedule of games short and sharp. They're playing for their country. You can elevate them. You can just bring them to another level, um, and it may not be reflective of of how they would approach their their sort of a nine month club season. Um, but I I don't know. I feel like it's less likely people would. We'll, we'll dive into you know, dive into rash signings off the basis of it, but when I take your point on on Enzo Fernandez's price, he he wouldn't have been that price without the World Cup being in December. Like once again, uh, Chelsea scores. I Felix, you're thinking this is they're they're coasting. They've all the possession, but they didn't finish the job with a win. No, they didn't. Um, look, it's a club with a, an awful lot going on at it at the moment, isn't it? I think looking at the starting lineup. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that half the outfielders on the pitch for Chelsea that started the match had, were signed during the January transfer window. Right. Like that's that is a, I can't ever remember it being that high before. I actually that's flicked high. over to the game and I was like, oh, Jeff Felix, I forgot they'd signed him <laughs> for yeah. a minute because he obviously yeah. got sent off. I was like, oh yeah, Jeff Felix, and it's yeah, like how many like, players have they signed even since him? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you're, you're expecting Jeff Felix to be at the door, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> is his time up yet? Yeah, no, I think centre back. You're too old. You're 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 you know you're. Centre back, centre mid, it's and like I think the toys the of Christmas, tree, isn't it? Yeah, the toys of Christmas. Um, but no, they were they were good. Um, they looked good in the first half without being outstanding. They had two goals disallowed through VAR um, in the first half, but they were probably correctly disallowed. But they're just naturally enough they looked a little bit disjointed they looked like a team who had five new players into the starting 11 I mean that's not just going to automatically click no matter how good the, the players are um, Mudrick's initial appearance when he came on who did he come on against when he was electric was that Liverpool was Liverpool it? Yeah. yeah yeah. like he was brilliant and I was like jeez can't wait to see this fella and he clocked did you see that he clocked the, the fastest time of any player to 24 kilometres an hour he moved at apparently in the Liverpool game which is the highest any Premier League player had this year and I was expecting huge things from him but he was poor now he was taken off with with a half an hour left um, and then just the goal Reese James was 
absolutely terrible. He just completely and utterly switched off for it and they ended up getting away with it in the end, John, because West Ham had a goal disallowed by VAR right at the end and again, it probably was just about rightly, but one of these ones where CH goes across, players going nowhere, makes a stupid foul and in fairness to the commentator, commentator says straight away, like, you know, that will infuriate his manager because the only way West Ham looked dangerous here is on set pieces. In comes the cross, Suchek back of the net and they got away with it because of a, a VAR decision. But, um... It's just, it's a bit all over the place there at the minute, John. They have, I don't know if you saw that, they have the guy in from New Zealand, um, Gilbert Anoko or Anoka. He's the guy that know Dickhead's rule. That's, from the, uh, yeah, uh, the fellow who coined yeah. that phrase. Yeah. Um, he's come in on a consultancy basis, I think, for the next uh, couple of months. He's It's going to be interesting to see if he can have some sort of a positive impact. I've kind of followed his work a bit um, since yeah, he, he came to prominence. So it'll be, be interesting to see if he can do anything there because it's, as I say, it's just a little bit all over the place there. Laro, if you're a Graham Potter, not an easy job. It's a, it's a real tough job. But listen, um, I believe everything the boys are saying, but why didn't they sign a striker? Mm. You know, all, all, all the players you go out and sign, and I think, you know, obviously they're all, they would appear to be very good players or will be very good players in terms of, of the younger ones, etc. Why wouldn't you go and buy a striker? It's the most important position in the in the, in the the team. I just don't get it. Um, and, you know, somebody having a striker play, and Jao Felix playing off him, they would be really, really good. I mean, the first half, they, they were two offside goals, but they, they were they were very, very close. West Ham were a little bit in a in a bet in a mess in terms of letting them when to run and let them run, etc. So, but it's it's a striker thing, and I think Graham Potter will be okay because I think there's enough people around there saying, look, you can't sign all these players and automatically think within the first three, four, five, six games it's all going to fit in. They're not conceding many goals, which is a bonus for them, but. Um, yeah Laura do you know know who I would have loved to see in Chelsea go and just just test the water and see what sort of response they would have got I would have loved to see him go go to Fulham and test the waters on on Mitrovic like he he would be transformational for a team like Chelsea he would but I mean that's I mean that's like Everton taking Mo Salah in terms of you know Chelsea Chelsea Fulham I think I think that they'd have closed the ground at Fulham if, <laughs> if they thought they'd sell sell Mitrovic to 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 Stamford Bridge. Yeah, it's a goalless between Arsenal and Brentford. We're watching it here. Evan Ferguson back in the Brighton bench today against Crystal Palace, and Nathan Collins not involved for Wolves against Southampton. Dan. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, like it's a, it's a slight concern. I mean, Wolves are obviously in a bit of bother, and they're in a relegation fight. They've signed Craig Dawson. Um, uh, Max Kilman has stayed on the side and probably is in a back four. He's probably the left-sided back four uh, member, and Collins has lost out. I mean, it's it's like I wouldn't get carried away over it. Like it's, he's Nathan Collins is about twenty-one, twenty-two. It's his first season as a real like a you know established in the sense that he's expected to start every week for a Premier League team at Burnley last year. He was still sort of um, behind their their first choice there for most of the season, and there's going to be bumps in the road and there'll be times when a manager decides to maybe take you out of the firing line like obviously the fact it's a new manager it's a new sign and coming in um it's not ideal um and i mean at times i think for nathan collins i mean from what i've seen of him this season like you can see in games his general level of ability is like is is very high um he's had a few difficult moments at times in fixtures he's uh, it seems on occasion like he he doesn't make many mistakes, but when they do happen, they sort of they get punished, um, and and clearly the manager has decided to just 
um, go for a slightly more, uh, I suppose, seasoned figure in there to maybe get them through a situation. Um, but I wouldn't be overly concerned. But but clearly, that's two games. You know, if it becomes twelve games, you know, or you know, seven or eight games, and you're getting in towards March from an Irish perspective, and Nathan Collins hasn't played since January, then it's a bit more of a concern. Um, but I mean, you don't know what's going on. The, like, the manager, for some reason, has come in and, and has decided in a sort of a firefighting situation that they're in that this is what they need to do. To do. They've won last week. They've had a great performance. So you're not really going to mix things up too much um, off the back of that. Um, but it's more the two or three games time that you're looking at things going, does this really mean something or not? Yeah, so Fulham have just scored against Nottingham Forest. These are always subject to VAR, but uh, Fulham always good at home. At Craven Cottage, uh, William with the goal. Uh, West, Ham, West Ham won, Chelsea won, as we said, full time. Arsenal nil, Brentford nil. Arsenal looking to bounce back after the defeat at Everton. Uh, Crystal Palace nil, Brighton nil. Uh, Southampton nil, Wolves nil, as we said. And Spurs have scored away to Leicester. Rodrigo Bentoncourt with the goal. Where will Harry Kane rank, Laro, in terms of the great strikers after that record was broken last week? Oh, he's just, he's, he's, he's way up there, isn't he? And, you know, just, just look at the quality of the goals that he scores as well. And th- this is a lad, John, who went, I think he went to about five or six, maybe even more, seven or eight teams on loan. Yeah, maybe not um, that many, but, but there's enough. There was uh, there was Millwall, there was Norwich, there was Leicester. Yeah, there was plenty. So it is, and I think I, I read an article about him the other day and I think one of his first loans where he, where he was actually begging the trainer to, to um, come back in the afternoon with him so he could concentrate on on his finishing, etc. He's a good lad and you can you can just tell it. he's very, very honest. And look, I wouldn't mind betting he'll probably top Shearer and Shearer will absolutely hate that. But uh, <laughs> he will, honestly, he'll be crying. Um, but I, I, I think he could do it. And could you imagine if he played in a team that made loads of chances? What yeah, be or, like? or won things. Yeah, yeah. Um, his first goal, as we know, Shamrock Rovers, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yeah, yeah it was. It was uh, remember, when I, remember, I was chatting to you guys the night before I was heading across the Spurs and Arsenal. Um, obviously, Arsenal beat us that day, but I was hoping, John, I, I could have been one of the very few people who could have said that they could have seen Harry Kane's first goal and Harry Kane's record. So you were there as well. You were, you were at the Shamrock Rovers game. At the Spurs game. Shamrock okay, Rovers yeah. game, and his first opportunity to break the record then would have been the Arsenal game, but unfortunately, he had to wait a couple of weeks longer. Oh, yeah, I, I genuinely think he's actually still underrated. I, I still don't think he gets as much praise as he deserves. He's His level of consistency is it's phenomenal mm-hmm. and his assists John like you know normally fellas who score that many goals are pure goal scorers I'd love to know how many assists had Al- has Alan Shearer had probably an easy enough way of finding out actually but I, I know Harry Kane is close on 50 Premier League assists in addition to the 200 goals which is just absolutely outstanding I mean I, I keep saying yeah. it but like imagine Harry Kane playing at number 9 with Harry Kane behind him at number 10 like he's he is one of the best uh, number 10s in the game as well he really really is he's, he's outstanding he's absolutely outstanding in the championship, Burnley won Preston nil, so they're flying Burnley. Uh, thanks, Car- John. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Uh, <laughs> Cardiff nil, Middlesbrough won. Uh, Coventry nil, Luton won. So these are games going on in the championship with goals in them. Um, uh, is this a worry for Arsenal? This wobble at Everton, or just a blip, Laura? Oh, just a blip. Um, I had a bet with somebody that Everton would beat them at home. It was all it was all set up for Everton to beat them because. You know, you knew they would raise the game. You knew they, they would be in the faces of the Arsenal players. And, and I don't think throughout the season, really, that Arsenal played a, a team like that 
revitalised Everton on the day. Well, it remains to be seen, obviously, on Monday, if they'll still be revitalised. But I just thought it was absolute nap. And there was a little bit sort of from the Arsenal players, you can't tackle me, you can't do this, you can't push me over and all those kind of things. It was just that classic sort of, you know, Sean Dice performance, get into them, you know, get the balls into the box. In, in all honesty, they could have won easier, couldn't they, in the first half, the heady chances that they could have had. So, but now they, they, they'll be fine. And for once, I thought the manager was quite cute in what he said. He loves his players and all those kind of things. So they'll have had loads of love this week and, I know they're nil-nil with Brentford, but I would expect them to turn that over today. Yeah, goalless at the moment. Dan, this news about City during the week, is this just, does it put uh, the integrity of the competition under a cloud? Uh, I know you're arguing the paper in the Irish Independent during the week that, like, you know, this other clubs are, are just as elite. I don't know. I don't, you can explain well, why, well, why no, you that. Uh, listen, my, my point is, like, and, and it's, it's sort of like, it's, there's layers to this debate. Like, like clearly, right, if, if City are found... Um, I suppose if the charges are found by this independent panel, or if they're sort of proven, or if they're brought to a case where there, there's, you know, punishment is is needed, if if their accounts were, you know, falsified or or um, not presented accurately in some way, well then, of course, like try to book at them, you know, and that and that's that, that should happen. I don't know what form that takes. It would it would need to be more serious than a a fine because a fine is obviously meaningless um, to them. Um, so I, you know, I don't know where that will go, and and you know, does that lead to sort of massive points deductions? And if that's the case, then that's the case. You know, they they can't probably argue with them. Um, the only point I was making was that um, I I understand like their their rivals are are naturally um, miffed, but like this sort of cloud has been over City for some time. Like you go back to sort of 2011, and people were rightly raising questions about their sponsorship deal with. Uh, what Eddie had at the time it was was that was in the firing line, um, but there was obviously uh, you know question marks about sort of related party sponsorships and um, I suppose the, the this issue where you have like a a, a state you know uh, with powerful resources as we know um, you know and and and, and, and you know, a club very closely affiliated with that state suddenly coming up with this unbelievable spending power um, and. You know, at the time there was like Liverpool and Arsenal and a few clubs raising concerns, but then I suppose over the next decade, at various times, it's sort of a uh, City's presence suited them. You know, City and Liverpool went in together to um, uh, they were two to four in negotiating for the top six to get a bigger share of the overseas TV revenue. Um, as we all know, in the Super League uh, project, the six clubs were were at one point content to consider. The idea of breaking away. So rather like City being this pariah figure that everyone had sort of concerns about them and and wanted nothing to do with them, I think at times like their might and their power would have been welcomed. I think like City and the money they've brought to the Premier League, um, even the presence of Pep, some of the spending that they've done has probably, you know, played a big role in the Premier League's rise to its sort of current position of dominance overall the league's in Europe, so that that's my only point around the piece, and, and what I was arguing was that, like, um, you know, have City been terrible for the Premier League? Should they be stripped of all their honours? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think if if clubs would, uh, if they weren't in train with the the other big six at certain times on certain issues, um, I don't know. It's it's like I I'm I if they get punished, if they get done. 
like they should they should you know be met with a very strong sanction and I'm not sure that they can complain um, but clearly um, a lot of other clubs have been probably quite happy and have got rich and richer off the benefit of City and what they've done for the Premier League over a period of time as well. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. This is Football Saturday. Remember, football and Off the Ball brought to you by Sky. Get all the football you love at one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. You can text us 53106. Joined at the line by the former Liverpool and Republic of Ireland defender Mark Lawrence and in studio by Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent and the Cove Ramblers manager Shane Keegan. Keith Long, the Expos boss, will be with us after four to look ahead to the League of Ireland. Uh, in the Premier League, it is Fulham 1, Nottingham Forest nil. William. Leicester 2, Spurs 1, Pappy Mendy and James Madison after Bentoncourt but Spurs in front. Southampton 1, Wolves 0. Mario Lamina has just been sent off for Wolves for a second yellow. Carlos Alcaraz scored the goal for the Saints. Subject to VAR, Brighton have scored away to Crystal Palace. Uh, Estupinan um, has scored at Selhurst Park. It's Arsenal 0, Brentford 0. The match we're watching at the moment at the Emirates and earlier on it was Chelsea who drew 1-1 away to West Ham in the rugby. 50 minutes on the watch. Ireland 22, France 16 in the Six Nations. Johnny Sexton off with a leg injury. Ross Byrne on for the final half an hour. Um, just in terms, Laro, of Monday, the Merseyside derby, Liverpool-Everton, is this a good time for Liverpool to be playing Everton? They've been so poor in recent games. Do they want a, a good atmosphere on Monday night to, to rise the troops again? No, I don't think it is a good time for them to score, to play them, John. I was at Molyneux last week and um, we were speculating on the team about an hour and a half before, before the game. And I just said to the to the guy I was with, I said, I think it's time for Phillips to come and play. You know, he kind of had it, kick it centre-back that played a lot in uh, in lockdown, etc. And, and lo and behold, in the first 10 minutes, I mean, they were so, so poor at the back, Liverpool. The, the, the two centre-backs were all over the place. Um, and it remains a mystery why... Henderson's not been starting. Um, he's had loads of rest, so they can't say that he's tired from playing. So he's had loads of rest. And I think, you know, when you're having a bad time, you just need experience. You need experience. And at the very least, at very least, you know, get the first half of the game sorted where you, you haven't conceded. They're forever chasing. I mean, I've said to you quite a few times over the course of this season that, that uh, the number of times they concede the first goal is, is, has been disastrous for them and teams just know that if, if they get at them and they get at them in midfield and overrun them, which is exactly what Wolves did last week, then they're in all sorts of problems and all of a sudden now the goalkeeper looks shaky because he's not sure what's going on in front. Well, he knows what's going on in front of him. It's chaos. The two fullbacks have got to forget about careering forward and just be fullbacks for a while and, you know, you, you've got to build on something. You can't sort of start playing football away from home like that, and you're all, you know, you're two up within 20 minutes. It very, very rarely happens, and I'm sure that that, that Klopp's pulling his hair out because it's just going to be a, a real difficult game. I mean, there's, there's a game within a game, isn't there? so there's Klopp versus Dice on the on the benches because he had a little bit of a set to. I think the last time uh, Dice was in charge of Burnley at, at, at Liverpool, and you know, you're going to get it'll be like an air raid. You know, in terms of the way that Everton will play, they will just launch it, Calvin, Calvin Lewin, etc. People around him, um, they'll get tight on people. Everton, they'll be tackling like there's no tomorrow. I think it'll be an ugly one, to be honest with you. I actually, I saw us that during the week, Laura. I couldn't believe it that you just mentioned Allison there. He he's actually he's actually made more. Uh, he's actually denied more more goal scoring chances than any other keeper in the Premier League this year. So as bad mm. and all things have gone from defensively, it could be a hell of a lot worse. 
if he hadn't made a few saves, it could have actually been in worse again. And I, I agree with Laura. I, I really fancy Everton for that game. Um, I think it's an awful time for them to play them. They're, Everton are going to be really going to be up for it now. I think the confidence is going to be back. Um, their direct style, obviously, is is exactly you'd imagine the way that 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 to get at Liverpool because they just they just don't look defensively confident in any way, shape, or form. John, if you'd, asked, yeah. if you'd asked me like six weeks ago who Liverpool's best player was, I would tell you the goalkeeper. Uh, but even even that's deserted him now. What about the injuries? How much of a factor, Laro, Van Dijk, Kanate, Diaz, Jota's coming back possibly on Monday, but not insignificant? Yeah. Well, can, um, Van, Van Dijk, obviously, because, you know, he, he makes it easy for whoever plays alongside him. Kanate's only been out for, was, I think this is first or second game, so he's not been out for long. Matip's been out for a usual spell. Joe Gomez is the one that's a little bit infuriating because, you know what, In the I've worked it out with him now. In the big games, he's obviously got this 100% concentration and he's really, really good against Manchester City, um, who else at home, Chelsea, very, very good, as good as anybody. And then in games where, let's say you play Wolves, and it's as though he kind of thinks, oh, it's only Wolves and, you know, I'm playing really, really well. As we know, you, you, you just can't do that. And But, I mean, the, the two of them, himself and Matic together, were, were all over the place. They really seriously were, which, you know, with Calvert-Lewin playing on Monday, I, I would bring Phillips in. I really seriously would. And just because he'll head it, you know, and, and he'll attack it. And he won't be worried about playing. He'll just be actually doing his job, which is stopping other people playing. Yeah. Uh, that goal, by the way, Esther Pinan ruled out of VAR, so goal is still Palace and Brighton. Uh, is Klopp in this for the long haul? As contract goes to 2026, Laro, is he in this for the... What's the vibe on Merseyside about Klopp and about the club? I know it's up for sale. A lot of brain drain in the boardroom as well. A lot of those kind of experts like Michael Edwards, those type of people like Julian Wilson, is that his name? Going uh, as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they've lost... They've lost loads of people from upstairs. I mean, we, we, we all know how well the recruitment has, has been. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Klopp, Klopp deserves to decide when he wants to walk away. I don't I don't see it happening at the moment. I think he's subconsciously in his head. He's, he's kind of written the, the, the season off. Well, but, sorry, the season basically is Madrid home and away now. So, But I think he's thinking if, if, if they don't get through that um, and then it's waiting until the summer and see what they can do. And then, of course... You know, as you rightly say about the owners, um, do they want just to sell um, a bit of it? Do they want to sell all of it? I think they want to sell all of it, to be quite honest with you. So he's kind of thinking a little bit, well, you know, where are we going to be with that? Who, who in fact, is going to actually own the football club? That would be the next thing. Uh, Will he have any any money? Yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, I I feel sorry for him. I, I, I I did the most stupid thing last week when I... After Wolves, and when I was right, when I was driving back home, when I put one of the phone-ins on, and it's just like you know, oh well, he's taken us as far as we can go, and all that kind of stuff. And you think, oh my goodness, I mean, the, the fellow's been unbelievable. He really has, and um, he, I would probably, he would be the last person I would let go from that football club. I'd, I'd let all the other players go before he went. Julian Ward, yeah, it's the uh, it's the guy. Julian Ward, that's yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... But is there a vibe about, you know, potential owners or who's might be coming in or anything like you hearing anything? No, no, I'm not, not not hearing anything. I mean, everybody keeps whispering Saudi Arabia and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but um yeah. no, I've not I've not heard anything. And and you know, generally, generally we get a little bit of a steer 
um, as it's happening, as it were, but there's not there's not been anything. Okay. What about Dice? Can he keep Everton up? Can he keep them up? Yeah. Yeah. He can keep them up. And, you know, he, he will play the way that, that, he, that he wants to play. Look, you know, p- people talk about atmospheres at football grounds in the, in the Premier League. One of the best atmospheres is Everton. You know, and when they are when they have got something to play for at Goodison, I don't know if you've ever been. It's oh, horrible. It's great, yeah, it's great. Well, Spurs yeah, it's, one yeah, six two there, but yeah, yeah, it's great, but it's horrible. And it, and, it, and it, you do really feel genuinely you go to place and you play at Wembley and all that. You know, it's not intimidating. It's great, but you go to you go to uh, Goodison and it and even worse when you're a Liverpool player. But anybody else as well, it's it's really really difficult. And all of a sudden, because you know, how close you are in terms of the stands, the pitch looks even shorter. And every time the ball comes to you, you just see two people running at you to cut you in half. It's a difficult place to go. So I think you'll keep them up, yes. It's interesting, the ownership thing, isn't it? With the whole city, obviously, in the news this week and the talk, maybe the Qataris interested in Manchester United. Um, Jim Ratcliffe maybe bringing American investment into it. Uh, the Newcastle fans seem to be happy with their owners now. You'd wonder are the United fans be as happy if the Qataris came in? Ah, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think I was, did I see John Aldridge writing a couple of weeks back about, you know, Liverpool just have to look that way. It's the way of the world. And it sort of like, goes back to the previous point. I mean, like City have led the way in terms of um, uh, showing people from that region what can be done through sport, you know, and uh, sports washing. That would be it, of course. And, you know, Newcastle have managed to uh, suddenly they're being propelled, elevated and I mean uh, haven't been over in Qatar at the World Cup and it was you know clear at that stage that um, th- th- there's no sense of the interest you know and the desire for like football power waning in any respect it's the natural byproduct of it um, to answer your point John in terms of would Manchester United fans be concerned I think it's like a lot of these things I mean I think um you know, Manchester United as a whole, like fans, you can't generalise them as a whole. Like they're not, they're not all on on one sort of, uh, you know, on the, on the one sort of hymn sheet as regards this stuff. Yes, there may be some who would raise concerns. Um, there will be others who will be excited by the potential of um, being able to sort of compete better financially. Although to be fair, right, they've spent a lot of money financially, so you know, it's just they don't have the the sort of the. The, the, the glazer suspicion over the owners where as we know with the, the, the sort of the Middle East uh, there's a bottomless pit of money they're not necessarily looking for a return on it because they're getting involved for other reasons um, so uh, and there is no end to, the, to their wealth I mean it's like what I mean, Klopp did say it last year um, about Man City and, and, and PSG and Newcastle that there is no ceiling for what they can do and there will always be a portion of fans who will say, "Well, if they can get away with it, and if they've been, if they're, if they've been allowed to sort of get through whatever, you know, criteria exist to own a club, but well, then why shouldn't we have a piece of this?" There would be people who would have a moral objection, but they, they probably end up not not winning the argument, you know. So um, again, like th- th- this is the thing we'll probably talk about Newcastle more in the coming weeks. Like they're going to have the excitement of a cup final. Um, all this stuff that they've been starved of and, and other clubs are just going to look at this and think yeah maybe, maybe this isn't ideal where it's coming from but you know, we're, we're, uh, we're starved of, of joy here we want a piece of it and yeah. that's what the Premier League has become right I mean the, 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 whole, the horse is bolted with this so everyone is playing by those rules now um, and you can't you can talk about it forever but 
there's no there's no way to stop it really yeah Ireland have a penalty and it's over Ross Byrne 25-16 they lead uh, France now so a two score games 59 minutes on the watch at the Viva Stadium going to Andy Dunn shortly on United they play Leeds tomorrow our commentary game Laro uh, Casemiro was uh, was missing during the week they could feel the absence but United um, Ten Hag seems to know what he's doing and uh, Rashford just can't stop scoring yeah well I mean Rashford has been nothing short of outstanding, has he? And I, and I know everyone's you know got this debate: Do you play him to the middle? Do you play him on the left? I still think I play him off the left because he just keeps on scoring for fun. And once he comes inside his marker, he's gone, and you're not going to get challenged in in the penalty area. Um, you know the Ten Hag has done a, a very very good job. Um, we shouldn't have been surprised by Casemiro in in, in what he's done, although obviously. Suspended at the moment. Um, you know, you, you don't win all those major competitions with Real Madrid if you're a dud, do you? And you, you get to see now with, with, with Manchester United, and I think this is the most important thing, not not just the results, John, or, or, or the players. They've obviously got a dressing room that is completely unified. And we'd spoken all last year. In fact, most of the programmes were on. We are always about, you know, Ronaldo, the dressing room, all those kind of things. And I just, I just think you can just tell that they're a happy bunch. Um, came back from two 0 down the other, other other night. Probably four or five months ago, they wouldn't have been doing that. So, um, yeah, whether I think they will get for, for the top four, but they still, I still think with them, they they will need a striker. Well, they will need a striker. Everyone knows they're going to buy one in the summer, aren't they? But um, they, they look a very good team then. Were Leeds right to sack Jesse Marsh, Laurel? No, I'd have kept him. And do you know why? I watch Leeds all the time because it just amazes me what what they do. It's just like bees let out of the hive. They're all over the place. But in that game against Forest, I don't know if you saw it, they should have been four up at half-time. And I think that was actually quite a good performance. All right, second half, ran out of steam a little bit, ran out of ideas. But I would have just kept him in for, for another couple more games. But um, long-term, no. Long-term, no. He, he, he is Ted Lasso, I'm afraid. <laughs> Um, he is, no, he is. And, you know, even some of, the, some of the things he used to say after games and all those kind of things. And I just thought, if, also, if they just kept him for a couple more games, Bamford would have got fitter by the game. And he would, he will score for them and would score for them. That's been their other problem as well. And, and, and defensively, they've been all over the, over the place. But he's tried to rectify that with a couple of signings. No, I would, I, I would have kept him. I really, I'll still watch him because they'll still be mad for a while, won't they? Yeah, no, I'm sure he'd deny uh, that he is dead lasso. But um, <laughs> just just in terms of uh, on Monday and on RT, there's a documentary on the television about Liam Brady. It's called The mm-hmm. Irishman Abroad, uh, 50 years since he uh, signed schoolboy forms at Arsenal. A man you played alongside, you probably know quite well, Laurel. Yeah, good lad, Chippy. Um, he was probably one of the best walking footballers I've ever played with. And if, if if you watch Liam, he, I mean, he, had, he didn't he didn't have any pace. Uh, he had an unbelievable left foot, as everybody knows. But he had a way of kind of <clears throat> just um, shepherding the ball away from you. If you if you were playing against him, you could never really tackle him. But honestly, it, it, it could play walking football. It it was that easy. I mean, um, just a pity like that the rest of us who played in in those teams of of the eighties that we didn't really get to go to 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 a major tournament until till later because because. On that stage, Liam would have been brilliant. I mean, he wasn't Jack's cup of tea, as everybody knows. But um, not not just an outstanding player, but also a, a proper, proper bloke as well. Was he vocal in the dressing room? Was he a leader? 
Um, no, not not really. The um, football did the talking, as as it were. Yeah, the football, but you know, he, he would he'd pipe up and say stuff and, and and what have you. But it wasn't a natural thing to him. And to be honest with you, we we had probably we had probably lots of lads who had all <laughs> all had an idea and and a, all all put in the two penneth all the time. I mean, you know, you got you know, McCarthy, Moran, and you know one of the Liverpool our Liverpool players as well. We'd we'd all have our say. Um, but no, it was you know. That, that was another fab dressing room as well. That was a brilliant dressing room and, and he basically was, was the leader, leader of it. Laura, I, I would have only really caught the tail end of, of his career. Like, if you're looking at, at the Premier League at the moment, what who what Premier League player would you would you say Brady was most similar to in, in his style of play or how he went about playing the game? Is there anybody that, in the current game that reminds you of him in any way, shape or form? No. No. <laughs> no. Nobody. There isn't. There isn't. Well, his first thing is, it's like, um, left-handed golfers, left-handed cricketers, left-handed footballers—they all look like they've got more time than anybody else, <laughs> and, and they all look much better on the ball, whatever sport they're playing. Um, which obviously, you know, Liam was that. I don't. I really, I really don't know anyone. And and um, one of the reasons I would say is, well, when I don't know about you boys, but when when I watch football now, when I watch Premier League, and um, you know, it's great, it's packaged, it's all that kind of thing. The number of times people go backwards without looking forwards is just drives drives me nuts. You know, you're in midfield, you, somebody gives you a ball, I'll just give a safe ball away and maybe get it back. Liam was always, it went into his feet and then it was out and he had his head up looking and he knew where the ball was. He didn't need to have to look where the ball was and he'd look to play somebody in all the time. And if he couldn't in the end, you know, you could see the disappointment on his face. I don't, I don't really see anybody in midfield at the moment that I watch regularly, I would say, if you want me to really go to De Bruyne in mm, terms of yeah. what he I could I was thinking create, Odegaard myself, possibly, yeah. 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 Uh, well, I think Odegaard's a bit different, but De, De Bruyne most definitely. But um, De Bruyne was, he used to run at people, didn't he, which, which Liam didn't particularly do. But in terms of vision and passing ability and know when to pass and where to pass and, and to pass to somebody who wants it in a certain place, not where you want to give it to him, that, that would be Liam. And also remarkable that he went to Italy and he had the bravery, as it were, as, as was at the time, because it wasn't done very often, to go to like Juventus to learn the language, to yeah. to win the title there, to be win the Scudetto. You, when, you're, when you're ranking Irish players, he's right up at the top, you'd have to think, Laura. Oh, of course he is. And um, I don't know if I told you the story, because he, he ended up getting sold, didn't he? Yeah. And, and I know that... Um, it won Juventus in those days, the Agnellis, wasn't it? Yeah. And and what happened was they they had already decided Juventus that Platini was coming in, and so so they, they were jettisoning uh, in they were getting rid of Liam, and and I do know that he got called into the office and basically Signora Agnelli apologised to him, and said you know we we didn't think you'd be as good as you have been, which is why we decided to take Platini and. Let me put it this way, John. I think he was extremely well rewarded to leave Juventus. Right. Okay. Well. And did he go ago. to Did he go to Sampdoria? Sampdoria, Inter, and then Ascoli. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it was Trap yeah, was yeah. the manager, wasn't it? It was Trapattoni who was yeah, the manager right. of Juventus. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, listen. Will I be able to see that in England? We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get it to you, Laro. All right. Great. Uh, we got to think of the uh, RT player. I don't know if we are able to because we're not allowed access to BBC anymore because. Um, 
I think it's some kind of some kind of geo-blocking thing or something like that. Maybe it's a Brexit thing. That's the eye player thing. But we'll blame yeah. it all on Brexit, Laura. I, I'm sure there's a way. It we just can't dis- we, we, we won't discuss it on air. But yeah, there'll, yeah, there'll yeah, be a way. yeah. We'll find a way, Laura. We'll, we'll, we'll get the pigeon. Okay. We'll get a pigeon and a, t- and a telegram, and we'll get it over to you in the next six months. I'd say. No uh, worries, um, Laura. Thanks, man. Speak to you soon. All right. Thank you. Cheers, guys. See you, Laura. Uh, with Football Saturday between now and five, I remember football and off the ball brought to you by Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sports and Premier Sports. Text us 53106. This is the League of Ireland preview. Uh, Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent, uh, Shane Keegan, the co Ramblers manager, and delighted to be joined by Keith Long, the ex-Bohemians boss. You're very welcome, Keith. Um, afternoon, John. How are you? How's the form? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. The League of Ireland start, you were uh, well used to this week. Eight years at Bowes. Yes, it's unusual to be to to not be involved at this uh, point uh, of the season where everybody's really looking forward to getting going and getting the season started. The phony war of pre-season is over for for all clubs. Obviously, the President of the Cup game last night. So every club up and down the country will have their ambitions, have their hopes and expectations for the season. And uh, yeah, interesting observer at this point. Um, you know, not being involved with a with a club. Um, you know, so that's different. But really looking forward to the season ahead, nonetheless. What is it like being a League of Ireland manager? Uh, the, well, listen, it, it depends. Right. It's a very subjective, um, uh, I suppose. Everybody's experiences are, are, are different. Um, you know, I was speaking to Shane before we, we come, came on air. I had eight years at Bowes, so six of those were, were in a part-time capacity. So I had to do, a, a you know, an eight-hour day before I went into the club. And very often you're you're ducking and diving in your job to answer phone calls, dealing with players, dealing with, with, with the board or uh, dealing with staff, um, you know, getting training sessions planned, all that type of stuff. But, um, you know, it, it's demanding. It's tough, but it's a very rewarding job. Working with young players, um, trying to get the best out of people, um, you know, and, and getting them to, to a level where you feel their ability and potential can take them to is very ro- rewarding, very challenging at times, working in difficult circumstances with limited resources, both um, financial resources and human resources. Because, you know, like I said, um, when I went into Bowes um, in 2015, um, you know, it was very much a part-time uh, club. They come on the back of, you know, nearly going out of existence. You know, um, they were in uh, heavy debt. So we had to try and put it back in a, in a good uh, footing. Thankfully, we were in a position to do that over, over a number of years where we grew the club sustainably. So... Um, you know, in a roundabout way, listen, it's a, it's a, it's a, an absolute brilliant and rewarding job. It's a very demanding job. Uh, it's a very stressful job. Um, and you have to be committed to it. It's a 24-7 thing. The phone doesn't switch off. Uh, you've got to be there for your players. You've got to be there for your staff. You've got to be there for the board. Uh, you've got to manage up, manage down the club. And it's... Um, you know, you know. Listen, I really enjoyed it. Shane has experienced it. Is obviously, you know, current manager in the league. You know, every club, uh, different challenges, different expectations, and different demands. Did your Did your relationship with the job change in any way when you were when you then did go full time? You know, or does that actually bring a different type of pressure? Because suddenly this is this I, is everything. If you know what I mean. Well, uh, I suppose I came to the point point Dan that um, you know I had to make a decision for for. Uh, the good of my own health, um, because working, you know, long days, um, being away from home a lot, um, I felt I had to, I had to channel all that energy and give complete focus to 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 one thing, passion, 
uh, my passion is football and I've uh, been involved in the game ever since I was a, a young lad and it was something that I never thought I would necessarily get into in a full-time mm. capacity like I said I've always managed and coached uh, previous to that in a part-time um, uh, capacity so to do that was a big undertaking, was a big decision, a lot of um, discussions um, with the club to get me to the point where financially it was viable for me to do so. Um, we were able to, to to come to an agreement and luckily I was at a good club that was moving forward, that was growing sustainably, uh, that had put reasonable structures in place off the pitch um, so that we wouldn't um, be in a position that, that we found ourselves in a number of years ago when, they, like I said, they nearly went out of business. So, um, yes, yeah, so it was a, it was a difficult decision. Did the, did the pressure uh, increase because I'd gone from part-time to full-time? No, we, you put pressure on yourself to deliver, mm. to be successful. Um, you know, to, to we, we were successful, um, you know, relatively speaking, and, and success at different clubs at different times look, looks different. Um, you know, we qualified for Europe two years running. We got to a cup final. We had our uh, best run in, in, in European uh, football a couple of years ago. You know, great, some great nights in the Aviva. Ultimately, we didn't deliver success in my reign. Um, and um, let's see if the club uh, going forward, uh, you know, can can make that step forward in terms of delivering silverware uh, over the next year or, year or so. When you talk about the pride, when you see Evan Ferguson, Dawson DeVoy, Promise share Andy Lyons now playing in England, you must be tracking their progress. A lot of interest. Yeah, well, it gives you great satisfaction to see the players like that doing so well. And, um, you know, one of our... One of our way of operating was to try and attract the best young players uh, in Dublin, in the country, to to a club like Bohemians, because we had to do it out of necessity. Um, you know, we didn't have huge budgets. We had to you had to think a little bit smarter in terms of recruitment. We had a brilliant partnership with St Kevin's Boys, um, that opened up doors for us in terms of uh, getting high quality young players I- into the club. But we also had other means of getting players in. We got Danny Grant in from non-league. We brought in other players from from different clubs, uh, giving them an opportunity. We signed players with a view to playing in our first team. We could give them that opportunity. And like I said, it was out of necessity. Um, we didn't have big budgets. We didn't have big money to, to attract uh, some of the more senior players. So, you know, it was it was a good fit uh, for many years for young players to come to us. And you mentioned those names, Promise, Evan Ferguson, Andy Lyons, Dawson DeVoy doing so well at NK Dons at the moment. Yeah, we, we can all look back. It's not just me. Uh, I was the manager. Trevor Crawley was my uh, brilliant assistant for many years. Uh, Derek Pender, coaches at the club that would have helped and developed the players. Craig Sexton over the years. Um, you know, all had a huge uh, part to play in bringing these players to the fore. Well, actually, just thinking of an Irish-France team, I mean, Evan Ferguson in a different, in a different <laughs> sport could be involved next month. But I'm just thinking, Keith, I remember when, when Evan came on against Chelsea and there was a big fuss around that a bit of a throwaway around it like what about the the principle of having like a 14 year old or a, you know when he was I think he was involved in another game was it in Derry did he travel up with you sort of around that time as well um, what were your feelings around that time I mean I know it's easy to say it now because he's, he's turned out to be like a, a success but could you just see it like when he, when he walked Evan, into your dressing room first or onto the pitch first you were like yeah yes that's the short answer to, 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 the, to the question. You knew Evan was star quality uh, from the first time you, you, you laid eyes on, on him on a football pitch. Um, I, yes, there was some commentary. Uh, we took a little bit of flack at the, at the time. It, it didn't really phase us in any way, shape or form, phase me. 
um, because we felt it was the the right thing to do for for Evan. Um, we didn't do it to. Uh, add value to the player, uh, add a couple of zeros onto his value. The deal was done already, wasn't the, it? The deal, the deal was done. Mm. Although, had we have chosen to put him into that game for that reason, I think as a football club, you're well within your rights to do so. Um, Evan, Evan was and is, um, you know, an exceptional young man. You know, brilliant, brilliant uh, character, great temperament for the game. Comes from. Uh, brilliant family and uh, has a great support system around him. So um, what separates Evan, in my view, to many of the other players that I've worked with, and I've worked some, with some talented players, um, you know, at various levels of, of, of the game. Some are playing, they're trained in the, in the UK. Some are playing in the Premier Division here in, in, in Ireland. So um, Evan, his mentality is different. You know, he's a winner. And, um, you know, absolutely is... is Will will do everything within his power to become a Premier League, League footballer, to become a, an established senior international goal scorer, international footballer for Ireland, and and you know he's driven to succeed. But he has the potential and he has the ability. We can't put too much pressure. Yeah, on. no, no, I am always conscious of that. Yeah. But at that time, though, did you and Trevor or the rest of your staff like have to have big conversations with him around? Okay, we might throw you in here because I know he was involved in a couple of league games then albeit I know it was closed doors football it was a slightly different time but was there any big chats or were you always very confident about his mentality that he wouldn't be phased by whatever you sort of pitched his way primarily we had conversations with um, obviously Evan of course and but, but his dad Barry who yeah. would be very influential and been an ex-pro footballer himself understands what, what's important for his son and and, and uh, what, what his son requires and if he didn't think he was ready to play we would have accepted that. Um, I think if you ask Evan if he was sitting here today, he was probably wondering why I didn't use him more. You know, utilize him a little bit more. I think that's that's the way Evan is. We 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 use them a little bit sparingly. Um, we were conscious of uh, the fact that we were only going to have him for a short time. That we could never necessarily build a team around yeah. him. He was never going to be with us up until eighteen years of age. Um, so we're always con- conscious that we'd only have a short window working with Evan and it was a pleasure to deal with him to work with him to see him and it's it's absolutely you know fantastic to see him do so well in the Premier League and hopefully that will have an impact you know like you said for, for future Irish international teams mm. He's on the Brighton bench today actually just on uh, for Dennis Undav uh, so they're goalless with uh, Crystal Palace uh, Arsenal nil Brentford nil Arsenal find it difficult to break Brentford down here at the Emirates Stadium, obviously, we're looking at the title race as well. Uh, Fulham 1, Nottingham Forest 0. Uh, so the goal by Willian. Leicester 3, Spurs 1. Ian Atcher making it 3-1 to the Foxes. Southampton 1, Wolves 0. Nathan Collins uh, on the Wolves bench today with uh, Wolves down to 10 men. Our, uh, West Ham 1, Chelsea 1 as a result from earlier on. Bournemouth and Newcastle kick off at half five. So... Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to I suppose be a fortune teller, isn't it? When it comes to these players, they're doing well at the moment. Uh, some of them can go into the stratosphere. Uh, you just don't really know, though, for certain where Evan or Dawson or Andy or Promise will end up in the game. That's right, for sure. And luck plays a huge part in that. They have to remain injury free. They have to go to a club with the maybe the talent pathway. Um, 
in Evan's case it was clear uh, you know they'd done it before with other players coming through they have a clear structure in how they operate uh, the current manager uh, you know it, when he was recruited he, uh, you know the conversations would have been very much aligned in terms of looking from within the academy first for players before you go outside obviously they, all the Premier League clubs including Brighton look at emerging markets looking to, uh, to, to get uh, young players in, into the club um, and, and Evan obviously uh, that was part of the reason why he ended up at Brighton and why he chose that route and, and it's obviously played dividends for him breaking into the team so young so um, you know other players like Promise going to, to League One you know with the physical attributes the, the pace and the power that Promise has that lends itself for for a league as attritional as as a league one, um, Andy Lyons is um, you know where Andy has ended up with the championship the season that he had last year with Shamrock Rovers um, is absolutely fantastic and it brings me back to you know when Andy was seventeen and he did an interview with with um, one of the in house reporters at, at Bohemians and you know. Uh, he was asked about his ambitions and, um, you know, plan A for Andy was to become a professional footballer. And, um, you know, he was asked about a plan B and plan B for Andy was to make plan A work. So it gives you an indication of his mentality and it gives you an insight into, you know, the drive of the player. Um, he was proven correct to move to Shamrock Rovers um, from Bohemians last year because he had a fantastic year. That's difficult for some of Bohemian supporters to to hear um, and and obviously we would have loved Andy to stay at the club um, last year y- y- you know it proved a, uh, you know he, he proved very difficult to replace but he had a fantastic year with Chamber Grover's got lots of goals now he's playing in championship football and he's He's scoring goals this week, I think, for, for Blackpool against Huddersfield. So, um, yeah, fantastic for these boys to go and to challenge themselves at the highest level that they can. You spoke about the element of that, that luck plays in it, which is, I mean, the flip side of that, when you don't get the bit of luck, like Danny Grant was one that I was really excited by when he went across and I, I thought he'd rip it up and it just shows with, with the injuries he's picked up. He's, he hasn't really, it just hasn't kicked on for him, Keith, has it? Um, well, Danny was exceptional uh, in in our league, you know, yeah. and has the attributes in terms of his pace to mm. to, to, and that's why he was signed for Huddersfield. Yeah. So yes, but he's been, you know, very very unfortunate with injuries, the hamstring injuries, you know, players. The way and um, the way Danny's built is the fact that you know he's so explosive. Mm-hmm. Those hamstrings fast are twitch, he, he, yeah. the fast twitch uh, fibers, very very injury prone. So he's susceptible to hamstring injuries. He was exposed very, very quickly to a, a very, a very hard-working regime. Um, the, the the manager, I can't think of his name, Cordoba, is it? Uh, who's moved on to West Brom? Very demanding manager. Mm. Um, you know, he come from. Uh, you know, League of Ireland football into a championship environment broke down very quickly. I think he had a Grade Four hamstring strain within a couple of a couple of months of, of arriving into to Huddersfield. So look and injuries play a huge part in any player's yeah. development. He's he's on he's on loan at Harrogate at the moment. He's playing. I think he's playing in the ten, sometimes in the eight yeah. in a League Two in a League Two club. So that'll be good for 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 Danny. Um, the one other one I'd throw at you as well that, that we would have had a small bit of overlap on what did you make of, of, of Georgie and how do you think Georgie will do he's Georgie Kelly of course yeah, yeah. Oh, Georgie, what, a, yeah. what a brilliant yeah. fella isn't he yeah. uh, listen uh, you can't help but smile when uh, you mention Georgie's exactly. name 100%. because he's such an absolute gent and what a what a human being and I know people talk about it's people first and the, the values and culture and all this type of stuff but 
Georgie's just a, a fantastic guy, a really clever guy, highly intelligent. Yeah. Um, will have a great career outside of football, um, but very focused and, and uh, understands what he wants. Um, took his time about uh, coming to Bowes because we were we were after him as, as you yeah, may know yeah, for, yeah. for many years um, prior to him going to Dundalk while he was at Dundalk not necessarily getting the game time uh, he would have hoped for he went on loan to uh, Steve O'Donnell's St. Pat's at that time didn't quite work no, out for him didn't like there either no you know we we felt that Georgie would complement how we tried to play with wingers getting service into the box and we felt we would supply him with uh, the supply lines to go and score goals he didn't quite hit the ground running for the first phase of games, you know, got a couple of goals. We played Dundalk at home, um, you know, just after COVID, our crowds are starting to come back and he, I think we won five or six nil, um, which was, you know, uh, unusual for us at that time to be the team of Dundalk's calibre. But Georgie just scored four, four goals and the season lifted off. I think he got 26 goals um, the season before last and got the move to the championship club at Rodrum and they love him over there too. So hopefully he'll to continue to, you know, make a mark over there also. Yeah, just speaking, I mean, it's, we are talking about a league season preview here and but naturally the discussion pivots around to like all these players that have gone like in the last couple of years and we could keep going we're talking about ones that you've worked with but we could talk about others as well um, who you haven't worked with um, I'm just kind of wondering like how has the league changed during your involvement with it and I go back to you as a player in the 90s when I don't think there was too many 16 or 17 year olds on the pitch in matches and there would have been a feeling, rightly or wrongly, that you know, if you were still at home at a certain time, you didn't go away. It would have been a, a period of time where, like, lads going from here to clubs in England were very, very rare. You could think of, like Brendan Markey and sort of Pat Scully. You could think of a couple, but now you could pick probably 30, 40 from the last couple of years. I mean, how different is the landscape now? And like looking ahead to this season, is that just an inevitable part of it now that we're going to talk about Sam Curtis, so we can talk about? We can, you know, pick, take your pick of sort of young players around the country, who who can who this time next year will not be here. We sort of know that. Ferrazai, like it's a real, it's a change league, isn't it now? Well, yeah, you've you've answered the question there. Yeah. I think Dan, you know, um, when I played League of Ireland football, it was an old man's league. You know. Um, very rare were there young players um, of course there was young players that didn't go away that were good enough to play League of Ireland they, they would stay they would try and uh, get into teams some clubs um, would obviously bring bring players uh, through to to, to, to to their first team quite quickly um, I, you know I'll make an example I went to, to the UK I went to Stoke City at mm. 17 uh, Trevor Crowley my, my ex-assistant manager stayed and played for Drottley United he was playing men's football I was playing reserve team football or youth team football I went backwards uh, Trevor moved forwards in his career and had a good career in League of Ireland and it took me a while to adapt coming back um, so it very much has tran- um, transitioned from an old man's league uh, or the perception of an old man's league to a to a young players league a developmental league where players are coming in at, at, you know and obviously with you know, League of Ireland clubs taking over, um, you know, effectively from where schoolboy clubs have left. Much more off. responsibility. There's now. much more responsibility on clubs to bring players through. Younger players are coming through and being not necessarily fast tracked. They're good enough to play in your first team, so they're going to play in your first team. Managers will not refuse. Obviously, 
uh, there's expectations at different uh, different clubs. Some clubs have a have a philosophy of bringing young players through, um, and always try and supplement their first team squads with, with good young players. Um, other other clubs will will need to deliver silverware, and they probably trust a little bit more experience. Arsenal have scored one nil, and it is Leandro Trossard. The new signing from Brighton, who's got the goal against Brentford. 66 minutes on the watch. Arsenal won Brentford nil. The Premier League leaders are ahead at the Emirates. And Brighton have scored. Sally March, 1-0 up away to Crystal Palace. Fulham won, Nottingham Forest nil. Leicester 3, Tottenham 1. Southampton 1, Wolves nil. Just in terms of, Dan, the, um, I suppose the Joe Biden gave the State of the Union during the week of the States. What's the state of the nation around the league? In terms of public interest, are there more people interested in going to matches? Is there, is there more popularity around the competition? Yeah, I mean, like the, the easiest measure of that, I suppose, is attendance. Yeah. Like, and attendances were up last year and dramatically up. And like, I suppose Keith would notice like, there are some clubs where like, attendances would have been higher if their capacity was bigger as well, too. So like, the actual attendance figures don't even reflect the number of people that could have gone to games. Now, there's no doubt there's been a bit of a post-COVID boom. I think clubs in the last couple of years have got much more aware of their that they are more than just um, you know a, a team of eleven players that goes out and plays at the week. That they need to be a sort of a club around it. I think one aspect of the national underage leagues as well is that. It's probably increased the number of teams at every club and people around the club who feel an affiliation to the club. And I think that has contributed. And like it's a younger environment when you go to stadiums. I'm sure like the lads can, you know, the crowds, the profile of the spectators. And depending on what age you are, like anyone listening to this or participating in this, you know, people from a particular generation like might have grown up at a time when maybe the League of Ireland was the old man's league that Keith describes it as. And again, it would have been hard to maybe see where the League of Ireland stands within Irish football because it was almost so divorced from the national team. It sort of existed on an island away from it. Whereas now, as, as Keith sort of mentions, I mean, like you can go to games, you will go to games this season. I mean, you will definitely go to games this season and like see some of the most important players for Irish football in the next, you know, yeah. 10, 12 years, which is a massive change. Um, it's a huge change. And maybe like there's a younger generation that are maybe less cynical towards the league than maybe people of a particular age who sort of will always remember it as being you know the league of ireland which has sort of exists in a particular box and it's perceived in a different way um and again as i said some clubs have been way more alert in terms of just you know pushing themselves and and pushing the experience and like there's like there's so far to go. I mean, I would go mad about facilities and and like at a time when we actually we've increased interest. Yes, often the product that we deliver up in terms of the overall match night experience is still like substandard. You know, for what? Because there's a huge appetite I think there for people to give it a go and and be open minded towards trying it. But naturally, you have to keep them. And like I think we're in a good place at the moment for people being open minded to having a look and seeing what's there. The next step, I suppose, is to is to build on it, and then in some cases, quite building it, like build stadiums that make people, you know, make people want to come back and experience them. So, like I'm doing this job like a long time now, and I'm, I'm sure if you played back a preview from like 10, 15, 20 years ago, have said very you similar. might have said very similar things about you know facilities. We need to do more about this. We need to do more about that. Um, I do think there's been an upturn the last couple of years. This is encouraging. I think in Dublin, in particular, has been a significant change. Um, 
but it's there's still a way to travel with it. Like I think the league's in a, in a reasonable place, but obviously we're, we're talking about like a lot of these young players that are leaving. There's a lot of players leaving, and naturally that the there's question marks over the structures in terms of you know where uh, the, the having the depth of talent to sort of justify or to be able to to cope with that sort of drain of talent every 12 months and like that's part of the next evolution and we're now recruiting more players from outside the country that's and what I was going to say the profile of the league is changing in so many ways unfortunately you know? the, drain, the drain of talent at the moment seems to be our best young Irish players leaving and being replaced by a huge amount of players from either England or across Europe which you know you can argue the the pros and cons of that um, but there's no doubt there's a huge amount of current uh, signings for the coming, coming season that are, are players that we know little to nothing about which is in itself is going to make things interesting I think I think there's something uh, I, I did a bit of work before I came in today so uh, I think there's something like 12 players coming in from emerging markets I want to yeah. put that phrase on it uh, markets where Irish clubs have never really been to before to recruit players uh, why is that happening? So, uh, you know, we have to look at look at those. Like, so so clubs are operating very much in a diminished market here in Ireland because the players, all the best players are at the at the best clubs under contracts. Yeah. Okay. And and of a of a certain profile that are going to win your leagues or challenge for silverware, are, are locked into contracts at, at at League of Ireland clubs. You know. Is there a quality, the amount and the quality that's required coming through our academy system uh, to to re- replace the brain drain, to replace yeah. those players that are moving away? Because unfortunately, Dan, it's it, it's it's the nature of football that players will want to test and challenge themselves at the highest level. And with respect to our league, um, it is a young developmental league. Players will always look to go to the UK or perhaps uh, abroad, which is becoming, uh, you know, uh, more of a trend p- potentially for young players because they can go away slightly younger than 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 Brexit, team yeah. with, with, yeah. with Brexit. So um, there's an element of risk always in every signature and every signing that you make, be it a home base player, be it a player coming back from the UK, um, or be a foreign import. And we'll see. Um, time yeah, will you tell. mentioned like you mentioned America. People may not be aware of this. Like generally, like I think there's what is a four Estonian internationals have come to the league over the winter, and there was one here already last year. So like, like you know, people will look at the international, you know, the the international break in a, in whatever in March in a couple of months' time. Whoever Estonia are playing, you'll be looking at a squad, but like maybe four or five League of Ireland players in it. Cork have signed three lads from Sweden. Like it's it's very different. Like it's as I said in many ways the League of Ireland was a league that just existed on its own away from everywhere and now it's sort of been subsumed into this wider like ecosystem where it's sort of part of the English ladder in the sense that a lot of players are going there clubs seem more willing to loan players to Ireland from there but it's now been opened up to you know through various means there's players around Europe are suddenly thinking I might go to Ireland and well, try it out so again we have to understand the reason why that's happening so uh, clubs are looking outside of like I said traditional markets like the UK looking for players looking for better uh, quality players looking for better value in value is a, probably a question so so Currently, I feel there's you know there's inflated wage um, demands across the league um, at this moment for 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 players and players are absolutely entitled to get their value what they feel is good value and get you know uh, maximise the potential of any contract. But clubs are there's no doubt about it are looking for better value, higher quality players. But that brings risks, you know, and the challenges to bring in overseas talent in a in a window. You get two chances per year to influence your squad in and out. 
And, you know, it, it is a risk, it is a gamble, but maybe the clubs feel that it's a worthwhile gamble uh, willing to take. What I would say is, looking at the signings that have come in from um, outside of, let's say, the traditional markets, only two of them have been loans. So, you know, managers have, have obviously done their due diligence. They've, they've, uh, they've looked at players. Um, it opens up a different debate around structures of football clubs, recruitment managers, director of footballs, all that type mm. of stuff. Because... As a manager, you can be, you know, become a special, uh, um, a specialist in general generalism. If you get me a general yeah. specialist, um, uh, or a jack of all trades, because you're trying, you're to, trying be, to do trying everything, to be, yeah. you know. So, um, so listen, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, and if those those uh, the influx of foreign imports, you know, you add look, to the league. You look, you look at the shift in power from Shamrock Rovers or from Dundalk to Shamrock Rovers. That pretty much coincided with the Dundalk's ownership model deciding to go after foreign players rather than proven League of Ireland players. Yeah. And it accelerated Dundalk's demise and which obviously accelerated the, the rise of Shamrock Rovers. I mean, I'm sure they couldn't believe their luck, but I understand going after value outside the league, but I still I, I still think that the heart and soul of your team, the core of your team, needs to be proven League of Ireland players. They don't necessarily need to be Irish, but I do think they need to be core, pr- proven League of Ireland players. Big goal in the Premier League. Brentford equalised away to Arsenal Ivan Tony. There's no danger of a VAR thing here, John. They were slowing it down initially for a, a potential offside in the build-up. It looks to be fine for the goal. It probably looks like it might. It's going to be okay here. Yeah, Arsenal um, won. A, are they having a mini check? Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the start. It's at the start of the the passage of play. There's a ball into the box, and I suppose you have to oh. decide if this player affected what happened well, I next. Think they're looking at the other one, Dan. Is the fella behind him offside anyway? Yeah, the wonderful world of VAR checks in a live radio show. Just let you know, Wolves equalised against Southampton, one-one there. Uh, Jan Bednarek with an own goal. Leicester three, Spurs one. Fulham one, Nottingham Forest nil. Crystal Palace one, Brighton one. James Tompkins equalising for the Eagles at Selhurst Park earlier. It ended West Ham one, Chelsea one. Ireland have beaten France with a bonus point in the Six Nations by 32 points to 19 in the Premier League at half five it's Bournemouth against Newcastle we're still waiting for this to resolve itself so I'll just go through the championship scores Blackpool uh, nil uh, Rotherham nil it's Bristol City one Norwich nil Burnley three Preston nil it's Cardiff one Middlesbrough two Coventry one Luton one QPR nil Millwall one Sheffield United two Swansea nil Stoke nil Hull nil the goal stands Arsenal one Brentford one Ivan Tony. So I don't know, was there, it's very hard for people listening, there was an Arsenal player with an outstretched hand at the start of it, and you're, 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 waiting, to see, you're waiting to see the line that they draw now. Yeah. Um, there was obviously a few phases to it, but it, they've scored, so it's yeah. one off. Yeah. Fascinating, ahead of uh, the Man City uh, Aston Villa game tomorrow, which we've got live here and he's talking off the ball. We also have Leeds and Man United. Uh, Sunderland nil, Reading nil, Watford won, Blackburn won in the Championship, Wigan nil, Huddersfield nil. And in Scotland, remember Celtic placing mirror and a half five in the Scottish Cup. So, just in terms of the, I suppose the season looking ahead, is the Shamrock Rovers dairy lads? Is that is it, is it, when we're talking about a title winner here? Uh, yeah, just, look, just, just to be honest about it. Yeah, I think it's very very hard to see beyond that, John. Their Rovers are now well and truly the established powerhouse. They've they've been a fantastic team over the last couple of years, not just in terms of their success, but to be fair, they're very easy on the eye as well. Um, I think they're a really, really great side in terms of how they go about it. Look, it helps that there's a few pound there, there's absolutely no doubt. Um, plenty of money in the club, but Derry are also now in a very financially... Uh, 
financially good position and that's allowed them to make some big signings over the last couple of seasons I think adding, adding Rory Higgins was a key key part of the jigsaw for them as well a really clever move I've said before he uh, he was an extremely impressive individual during the brief time I had him with at Dundalk you'd, you'd just talk football with him forever forever um, both as a, an impressive individual both as a person and as a as a football manager or a football man for want of a better way of phrasing it um, and they look good. They look very, very good. Um, they've made a couple of good signings, Dan. Adam, Adam, yeah. uh, Adam O'Reilly. Adam like, O'Reilly is a good one. And then is the is it, has the Ollie O'Neill one happened? Uh, yeah, There's a lot of talk about that uh, yeah, earlier in the that, week. And they, they had a guy from Ipswich who came off the bench last night. Matt, Matt Ward. Matt Ward. Matt Ward. Um, and then Colm Colm Whelan. Obviously, I spoke Colm. The League of Ireland launch was on during the week. Um, JD and I spoke Colm at it. Now I think it's probably kind of four to six weeks before he's gone to be fully fit and, and ready to go but uh, he is a fantastic young fella and he, he I thought the one thing that Derry I remember watching the Derry Rovers games in particular I thought it really highlighted McGonagall was a great goal scorer he's a great fella to offer a threat in behind but the difference between McGonagall and Gaffney in the build up play for the two teams was night and day and I think Colm can give them that goal, those goals potentially at Derry while also being a, pre- a really, really yeah. important player in their build-up play. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, Colm is interesting. Like he probably would have joined Lincoln last year if he yeah. didn't get a serious long-term injury. He was in the Ireland 21 squad, uh, and I think Derry sort of stole a little bit of a march on on Rovers over the winter and made an assertive move when maybe. Maybe people thought he was still going to Lincoln, and Derry got their got in there very quickly. And um, to answer your question, John, I, I think that is yes. I think it is going to be those two. I think you know, St Pat's had good run in the second half of last season. I think they have the potential to be decent again. Dundalk, you're again looking at players they've brought in from outside the league, and you're not sure of their level. And I think, I mean, Bowes have, have recruited extensively. Sligo, again, they've lost the classic re- recurring team. Like, they've lost the top scorer in the league, Aidan Keena, to League One. Mm-hmm. They've brought in a Faroe Islands international striker yesterday to replace him. So how's that going to work out? Like, you just, you just it's very hard to sort of uh, assess it. With, with, with your managerial hat on, Keith, Rory Gaffney, Johnny Kenny, how, how are they accommodated in the same side? Because Rory Gaffney has been the outstanding player of the season. John Kenny was superb before going away. It's hard to see either of those two fellas on the bench. So how, how do they end up in the same team? Well, I think Rory has to get fifth first. Um, you know, he had an outstanding season. I think I believe he's injured at this moment in time, so that's why he, he didn't feature last night. So Johnny Kenny adds a different dynamic to the Shamrock Rovers team. So fitting the two of them in, you know, Rovers obviously play a system that can play with two strikers. Very often they play with two tens behind a number nine. Um, you know, there will be games. There's no doubt that Stephen will fit and complement those players and play them together. Uh, whether that's in the top games or in the some of the European games will remain to be seen um, you know I think at this at the infancy last night was their, the first game um, you know Stephen probably hasn't settled on his best 11 just yet or be it that he probably knows every single uh, you know he, he probably has 9 or 10 of the positions nailed down so uh, but you know maybe sometimes with players coming into the building you, you know you work with them a little bit more closer. They develop relationships with other players and, you know, they might just strike it off. So you just don't know. They could both play in the same team. Whether that happens it remains to be seen. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, a Derry Rovers um, dominated campaign. You know, 13 points, I think, is the differential um, mm. last year between the two clubs. Uh, looking at, at Derry City last night, they were very impressive. 
Um, for me, the most stable clubs in terms of recruitment are the clubs that are going to be most most successful. So you got a situation where Shamrock Rovers add two or three players every year because they built a foundation over a number of years. Stephen was given time at the outset to develop that and to implement the strategy and vision for the football club and they need to be given, Shamrock Rovers need to be given huge credit for that. Um, Sham, uh, Derry City, uh, I think, uh, you know, they've only brought four players in. Yes, there's more players to possibly come in, but they've got a stable squad. They've got an experienced squad. They've got league winners. And it looks to me, not on the evidence of last night, that there's a mindset shift in that dressing room. That it's full of league winners. Remember, a lot of those players came from Dundalk, haven't won, you know, league titles. They won the FEI Cup last year. They're, but there's a mind shift there that they can go closer this year with Shamrock Rovers. And welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Football Saturday, football on Off the Ball, brought to you by Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Text number 53106. Joined in studio by the ex Bohemians boss Keith Long, the co Ramblers manager Shane Keegan, and Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent. Looking ahead to the League of Ireland season, Arsenal won, Brentford won in the Premier League. Or Arsenal, I suppose, uh, they're going to a little bit, I don't know. <laughs> Given that Brentford came into this one beaten in nine and uh, seventh in the table, maybe that's harsh on Arsenal. But Arsenal uh, obviously lost Everton last week and they're looking for that winner. Uh, just I'm conscious of time, folks. Dan, Damien Duff, you were talking about people, we we're talking about people going to the games, um, interested in storylines, interested in good players. And Duff obviously has a star quality. How's he getting on with Shelburne at the moment? Yeah, I mean, like, I suppose they had a good season last year. I think the big thing to note with Shells is that they, I mean, the owners of Southampton were looking at going in there, making significant investment, didn't come to pass. I think Shells have been looking for other investment, hasn't come to pass as of yet. Um, they've recruited you know, reasonably well without necessarily sort of um, making a, like shockwave signings. Um, and I just, yeah, just, just sort of watching the Shells thing generally, I think, um, I think they're obviously, Damien has signed a lot of young players there who they probably feel that can, that can improve again, you know, that they, over the course of the year they can maybe get better again and they, they probably have a core of a side that's still there from last season. So um, I, think, I, mean, I think they'll be, they'll be fine, they'll be mid-table. I think it's a push now to see them you know, breaking into the European picture. I, I wouldn't be necessarily predicting that. Um, there's, there's still massive interest. There's no doubt. There's there's a sort of a like a certain fascination with like a sort of a household name being involved with the league, um, but I think maybe there might have been hopes the Childs might have pushed on a bit in some ways over the winter. It hasn't happened, and um, in this league, you know, you, you can talk about the sort of ability of of managers and 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 so on, but clearly the structures and the finances and the well-being of a club will have a big say on on how things go. And Childs have brought in some good players, and I mean who other clubs would have wanted. I'm not saying they're, they're penny pinching. They've signed some players like Maddie Smith and people who other clubs would have liked. But just maybe the winter there maybe hasn't gone in the way that people might have envisaged it panning out in September, October. Uh, Leicester four Spurs one now. Harvey Barnes uh, with the fourth goal for the Foxes. Uh, Wolves have taken the lead 2-1 away to Southampton. Joao Gomez, Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest nil now. Manor Solomon, Palace 1, Brighton 1, Arsenal 1, Brentford 1. Keith Long, your hopes here. For, I suppose for the league for this season, but also the coming season. Is facilities the big thing? Is having a better experience for the public and also the players themselves? Of course it is. It's yeah. one of the things that has held the held the uh, football back in this country for many many years. Like like Dan said, you can go on for 
you know, an age and an eternity. Many, many League of Ireland clubs have not been able to improve their facilities due to a lack of resources. You look at Tallis Stadium and it's not perfect, but it's got four stands now. I think the fourth stand is going up, and it's, um, you know, and it's impressive. And it's impressive if you're trying to attract players into a club. Uh, I went into Daily Mount uh, in 2014, 2015, um, and there was plans for, for a redeveloped Daily Mount. Those plans are still, and, and obviously they've gone through a number of set of plans, so they're still very much in the, up in the air. So uh, those projects need to, need to take take off. You know, Bally Buffet, Daily Mount Park, you know, infrastructure needs to improve up and down the country um, to, to attract more people into the grounds. There's an undercurrent, there's a subculture, there's popularity in the league at the moment. It's it's cool and it's hip to, to be involved with, with a club in your community. And we got to capitalise on that but we can only do that do that by improving facilities all around Okay uh, in terms of the winners Dan are you going for who are you gonna, who's going to win the league? Yeah I'm, I'm sort of tempted to go for Derry I'd probably just go for Shamrock Rovers I think Rovers like they're they've tried to add a certain type of like change a few different options in attack and, and change their profile of their team and um, like Derry actually look reasonably stable in some ways so I think that pushed them very close but I still think I'd go for Rovers for the four in a row um, player of the year if he stays fit I think Neil Farouja could have a big okay. year for Shamrock Rovers uh, yeah. and top scorer top scorer oh that's a tough one um, some people seem to think Jonathan Afalabi at Bowes if he if he clicks could um, could be the player he could be a long shot uh, well the best luck with Cove Rambler Shane uh, who will win the Premier Division yeah Rovers in short and player of the year I'll go with Jake Mulraney uh, Pats big, okay. big new signing for them ok and top scorer I'll go with the the bookies' favourite, Johnny Kenny. Okay, and Keith, we'll hope to see you involved in the game uh, soon. And who are you going to pick for the the League of Ireland title, Rovers? Shamrock Rovers. And, and player of the year? <sighs> the lads have picked both. Uh, I I think Jake Mulraney is a great signing for St. Pat's. Okay, right, and maybe top scorer. Afalabi has the b- potential and ability to get goals for Bohemians this year. Okay, well, thank you for coming in. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And uh, Shane, thank you and best of luck. Cheers, JD. I mean, we'll catch you along the way. And Dan, thanks as always. No worries. OTB Sports Rugby. I just remember when Stephen Jones was stepping up to take it, I was there going, oh, we've got this. Had they given it to Gavin Henson, I would have been a lot more worried. Um, <laughs> Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now.